We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to open your Bibles there, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to continue in our study today through the book of Ephesians, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Uh, as I uh, was uh, finalizing this message uh, yesterday, I um, came across a, a story which illustrates Ephesians chapter 4 pretty well as introduction. And so uh, this is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. And in the end, everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. And uh, the big idea of Ephesians chapter 4 is this, that anybody and everybody has a gifting and a calling to serve God and his people, and that nobody is exempt from that calling, and somebody today is going to get spanked because you're not walking worthy of the calling of God. And so that's the big idea of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, here's what Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, Bible 101, when you're going to study it, whenever you come across the word therefore, you want to know what it's there for, okay? And so the reason that, the, that Paul says, I therefore, is because he's, he's continuing on what he has said and what he's been teaching uh, in Ephesians chapter 3. He's carrying on a thought. And uh, if you've been with us going through this, what you know is that the whole book of Ephesians up till, till this point, Paul has been just laying out for us all of the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and it's, it's remarkable that he's doing so because he's writing this epistle from prison. Uh, and, and he it has the death penalty hanging over his head. That's the potential thing that he's facing here. And yet, as he sits in prison, he writes about all the blessings that we have in Christ. And so we get to Ephesians chapter 3, and what Paul says there is, well, he says, for this reason, in Ephesians 3.1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, then he finishes the, the, the sentence and the thought when he gets to verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For what reason? Well, basically, Paul's like, look, I'm serving the cause of Christ. I'm following the Lord. I'm doing what he's called me to do, and... Basically, what Paul articulates is that, hey, God gave to me this revelation uh, from his word uh, about the work that he's doing with the Jew and with the Gentile. And so here we have what has been a mystery hidden in the scriptures, and God has revealed it to me. And, and in revealing it to me, God wants me to take this message uh, to the Jew, to the Gentile, and it hasn't been a popular message. By my being obedient to the Lord, Paul would say, I've, I, I got thrown in jail, and I hear now I'm in prison, but I'm not the prisoner of Rome, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And, and what we've been looking at is this idea that in serving God, well, God is sovereign. God will accomplish his purposes. He, he has a supernatural will. And, and so God is going to, to accomplish his sovereign work, his sovereign will, his providential work. Well, he's going to accomplish it with or without us. And what we saw in Paul's life, especially manifested by his words in Ephesians chapter 3, is that God working through Paul's obedience, well, Paul wound up in jail because of it. And we looked at that and have looked at that and basically take a walk with this idea that, well, God accomplishes his purpose sometimes through obedience, <coughs> like in this example where, you know, Paul obeyed God, proclaimed the gospel, it was an unpopular message, got him beaten, got him whipped, got him stoned, got him thrown out of, you know, cities, left for dead, scourged, <coughs> excuse me, thrown in prison, the whole bit. And, and now he's in prison and he could sit there and go, well, you know what? I'm here because I was obedient to the Lord. So, hey, I'm, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm a servant of Jesus. God knew sovereignly what he called me to do. I did it obediently. If I ran, wound up in jail, well, that's the Lord's business. I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to be faithful to him in that regard. We looked at examples of guys that were disobedient to God and yet God's going to accomplish his, his sovereign work. Jonah's a perfect example. 
God tells him to go to Nineveh. He disobeys. He gets on his ship going the opposite direction. God works through events supernaturally, gets Jonah where he wants to go. He works in Paul's example through obedience. He works in Jonah's example in spite of his disobedience. Sometimes God just works. We looked at an example of John chapter 9, a blind man, and Jesus' disciples asking him, hey, is this guy born blind uh, because his parents sinned, his mom, his dad sinned? What's the deal? And and Jesus is like, no, it's not because he sinned. It's because it's so God could be basically revealed in his life. That's what Jesus' answer was to him. And the idea there being God just providentially works. It's been said that providence is the hand of God in the glove of human events. And, and so God just does his supernatural work. And so what Paul is saying here as we come to chapter 4, is basically he's saying this. He's saying, listen, I've walked my path. I am now a prisoner of Jesus Christ because I delivered the message that he gave me to deliver. And so he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That word beseeched, it literally means an urgent call to one side or some translations use the word beg. Listen, I'm begging you, please listen to me. And he says, look, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I was called to this, so you need to walk worthy of the call to which you were called. If you were with us when we went through 1 Corinthians, what we saw there was, well, Paul addresses the issue of calling in in that epistle. And we saw there that Paul was called by God to be an apostle. And we also saw, as we went through 1 Corinthians, that uh, the, God also calls the saints to his sovereign work as well. This is what Paul reaffirms here in, in Ephesians chapter 4, that there is this distinct calling on our lives, and we are called to walk worthy of that calling. And indeed, the Bible says that God has called some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Paul will say that in our epistle here in a few verses uh, from now. Um, The Bible also says that God gifts everyone with a diversity of gifts, Um, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, of mercy, of faith. Uh, The Bible in several different locations talks about how God has gifted us. Paul is going to talk about this again in a couple of verses, how God has given gifts to us. Speaking to the church in Rome, Paul said this. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And here it is, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then, he says, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them in proportion to our faith. And so... The idea here, God gifts us with a diversity of gifts, and he asks us to use those gifts according to his specific call on our lives. And you know, it's an interesting thing that when Jesus was here on this earth, he made a promise, and and he made a prayer, and the two are inextricably linked together. His promise, he made in Matthew 16, 18. There he said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, this promise inextricably linked to a prayer that Jesus made in John's gospel where he prayed, uh, I pray that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And this idea of being one together, um, Jesus it, you know, drilled on this in his prayer. Paul's going to drill on this today in our text. Very important, this emphasis of us being one together with Christ and with his people. And he says, I pray that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them. Uh, speaking about this idea of how God has gifted us, that they may be one just as we are, I and them, and you and me, that they may be 
made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. So again, the idea here is that God's plan is that uh, as he redeems mankind, well, that it should continue, his work of redemption should continue through you and through me. In fact, if you were with us again when we went through the the book of Acts, we saw that just right crossing the threshold of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1. As Luke, who's the author of Acts, writes it, he, he references his former book, which is the gospel of Luke. And what he says is, in my former work or in my former book, I told you about all that Jesus Christ began both to do and to teach. And the the significance of that is that the work of Jesus Christ through the God, through, you know, he he himself physically on this earth as, as articulated through the gospels, that was just the beginning. See, he passed the baton to us. He told his disciples in Acts chapter one, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised. Speaking of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be witnesses of, me in Jerusalem, witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Speaking of his ongoing, continuing work that he's going to do in and through you and me and through us together uh, in the church. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's, it's, Acts is short for the Acts of the, of the Apostles, but more accurately, it could be the Acts of the church, because that's what you see through the book of Acts, is God birthing the church. And what is the church? Well, it's not an entity or an organization. The church is you sitting in that chair, coupled with the person sitting next to you in his or her chair. It's all of us together. Peter would say in First Peter, we like living stones are being built into a holy tabernacle for the Lord. And so it's this idea of God building the, his people one upon the other, this oneness of us with him and us with one another for this ongoing work that God wants to do. Romans 11.29 says this, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And this is the big idea of what we're talking about here today, is that as God brings us together as one with him and one with one another, he then gives to us independently gifts so that we can be part of building up the church and continuing and perpetuating his work here on on the earth. This is the drum we're going to be beating all day long. God has gifted you. You have an obligation to use your spiritual gift as God has gifted you. And so Paul says to the Romans, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And that word irrevocable, literally, it means without regret. And here's the idea. The idea is that when God gifts you and he calls you in a particular way and you obey him in that call, you absolutely are not going to regret it. We had, we had a situation happen this week where um, one of the gals in our church, she wrote on the lady's Facebook page, and she was sharing about uh, how God had uh, completely, radically transformed her life through Reliance Church. And the beauty of it wasn't, it wasn't through, you know, a, a particular person or, or, or whatever, it was through... The, the body of Christ, us all together. And she went on to cite just how different people had impacted her and, and, and had blessed her. And as she told you know, her story, basically what she shared was that she was, she was in fact suicidal. And God had delivered her from a very dark place and had now brought her to a place of walking with him in a, in a beautiful relationship, in a strengthened place. She'd been personally edified, built up within the body of Christ. And the beauty was it, was, it was everyone working together using their spiritual gifts. And, and, and you know, the idea, and my wife and I talking about this, just marveling over the stuff. We love hearing the praise reports of what God's doing in the hearts of the people. And, and what we talking about was, can you imagine if the people that she interacted with had buried their gift, had buried their talent, had not been faithful to, to, to you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine kind of deal, she, her testimony would be profoundly different. God forbid, she may have, have taken her own life at some point. And that's what I want you guys to hear. What I want you to hear is that you have no idea 
what God desires to do through your life. How, how he wants to use you to minister to his people. And I always have this, this visual because, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, apart from, from surrendering our life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, all of us are running headlong toward that cliff. You know, in my mind's eye, there's always this movie in like Ireland or something, and there's just one section, it's this huge high cliff, and it's all these green fields, you guys can see it if you've seen the movies that have, that it's on that set, and I just see, you know, my little granddaughter Willow, I have in my mind's eye, just running as fast as she can for that cliff. Well, that, that's the, the picture of, of what's happening in, I mean, the people that, the, the person that's sitting next to you possibly, is, is on the road to destruction. And so as I think, carrying this, this illustration, as I think of my little granddaughter Willow running, and maybe, you know, I can't get to her, but you're there, and I'm saying, grab her, grab her, get her. What if you just let her run by? See, that's the thing, is that there is a work that God has called you to do and that he's called me to do. It's a crucial work. It's a critical work. It's a, it's, a, it's a desperate work. Lives hang in the balance of whether or not we will use our spiritual gifts obediently to the Lord, whether we will we'll be faithful to do this thing. The, the gifts, the calling of, of God, they're irrevocable. They're without regret. When I was in the, in the fire department at the station that I was at, we had a, a, a piece of equipment. It's called a breathing support. It's basically a truck with a, with a big uh, air uh, pressure, you know, a air compressor on it. And uh, the, the function of the, of the breathing support was to fill up our air bottles. Well, because it was only used when there was a fire and you don't have fires every day, we didn't staff it with a full-time firefighter. We, uh, we would staff it with a volunteer. So what would happen is we would get, you know, dispatched to a fire. And if we got on scene and it was a real fire, then we would dispatch the breathing support and the volunteer would come in and he'd take the, the vehicle down and he'd meet us at the fire. Because, you know, we've got air bottles, you know, on our, on our rigs and all, but uh, after a certain point in time, they're going to go empty and need to be refilled. So that's the, the system that we have. Well, the guy that worked on the breathing support, he, he had a, he wanted to be a full-time firefighter. So he kind of, he didn't like the job that he had. He just, he just was discouraged in his job because he was like, well, you know, yeah, I get to, to go to fires, but I don't get to fight fires. All I do is fill up air bottles. And, uh, you know, it was, it was unfortunate in the sense that, you know, it's a breathing support. And we were at Station 55, so the, designator, the designating number for this, whenever they would dispatch him, it was BS-55. And so this, it's just an unfortunate kind of thing. And this guy's attitude was... was I, I, I want to do a real job. I don't want to do this job. And I talked to him one day. I go, dude, do you have any idea that if, I mean, somebody's got to do your job. What if, what if we didn't have somebody there? We run out of air. We're done. We can't go inside and fight the fire. We can't go inside and rescue anybody. Your job's an important job. You might despise it, but it's important. It's critical. Someone has to do that job. Listen, it's the same way in the body of Christ. Someone's got to do the job. It, it, what happens in and through this church as far as Jesus Christ moving and working in and through his people absolutely critically depends on whether or not you will be obedient to that call or whether you're going to be disobedient to that call. And I want you to notice when Paul exhorts the Ephesians to, to, to walk in their calling, he doesn't just say, I, I, I beseech you to walk in the calling. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And that word worthy, it's the Greek word axios. I want you to have in your mind's eye like a scale because the idea here is, is having the weight of another thing of like value. That's, this, that's what this word worthy actually means. And there's, there's kind of two, two sides to this, as you sort of think in your mind's eye, you know, something that has the, the same weight. Um, on the one side of it is it, just this attitude of, you know, this job is worthy. This thing that God's called me to, it's worthy. This is not, you know, some junk whatever, and I, I want to be able to do that job. I don't want to do this job. We need to understand that every single thing that God has called us to do, every single gift that he has given to us, it's worthy, it's important, it's critical. Now, the other side of this is that 
Well, and it, 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 we have a tendency, and I've said this before, as, as Christians, as human beings, we have a tendency to live on the extremes. We, we very rarely are going to live in balance. Usually we live on the extremes. And so you either have, you know, as it pertains to the gifts that God gives to us as Christians, you either have the guy who thinks too much of his gift, or you have the guy that thinks too little of his gift. That's usually what's in play here. And so this is kind of the other side to this idea of worthy. When, when Paul says, I, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling, you know, on the one side, hey, you know, don't think too little of your gift. But on the other side, don't think too much of your gift either. You are, you are not God's gift to the church. You know, it's not like, oh, thank God, everybody sit down because Joe's here. You know, it's not, it's not about that. It's about everybody gift, using their gift in a worthy manner. And, and with this in mind, listen to what Paul says as he continues verse 8. You know, this idea of being worthy, don't think too much, don't think too little. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. That word lowliness, it, it literally means uh, uh, low to the ground. It means uh, having an understanding. Uh, the idea is that you're not, you know, from your ivory tower looking down on everybody, but rather you're going to, you know, take a low position yourself. You're going you're gonna to understand who it is that you're serving, that you're working with. He says, uh, with, with gentleness. This is the word gentleness, it's, it's, uh, it's the word meekness. Literally, this, this idea of strength under control. It, Paul is saying, look, here's how you're supposed to exercise your calling. Here's how you're supposed to walk with the gifts that God's given to you. Lowliness, meekness, gentleness. He says, with long suffering. And it just simply means that, long suffering. And, and, and you know, because here's the thing. When we talk about the church and we talk about the gifts that God's given to us, when we talk about serving the Lord Jesus Christ, what we have to take into consideration is that we're going to bug each other. Have you ever been on a long road trip with somebody? My great-grandfather used to say, companies like fish, after a while it starts to smell. You know, and that's, that's the way in the church. It's like the church would be a great place if it wasn't for all the people. And what happens is we get on each other's nerves. It just happens. This is important. We're going to talk about this in a minute, this idea of unity. But it's so critically important because what we have is we have, we have churches dividing all over the place. People, they get angry. They get upset. They take their toys and go home. They go split. They start another church. It's not supposed to be like that. That's why Paul's saying, look, don't think too highly of yourself. It's your God's gift to everybody else. Don't think too lowly of yourself. We need to have this right striked balance, and we need to serve one another in the right mindset. It's lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering. You suffer along with somebody else because guess what? They're suffering along with you. I guarantee it. You know, And so, so that's this idea of long-suffering. And then he says... Um, not only long-suffering, but he says, bearing with one another in love. And that phrase, bearing with one another, it's, it's, it's very telling. Basically, it means to hold up against. Um, I guess I'd describe it this way. Yesterday, when all the winds hit, maybe you saw when you drove in here, there's several trees on the property that are down. Um, and I, I, in my backyard, I, I built a, a pergola. And, uh, and it's, it's just kind of a, a shade structure sort of, sort of deal. It's more decorative than anything. But I was worried because when the wind hit our house, I mean, it actually shook the house, you know, where, where we live. And so I went out. I'm thinking, oh, man, this pergola is just self standing alone, and, and I hope it can stand up, you know, that it can, it can bear against or, or, or hold up against this wind. Well, thankfully, it did. But this is what Paul is saying is that when we serve, this is the way we have to serve with this lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, and we, we need to bear up against. Now, that doesn't mean bear up against like I'm going to fortify myself against you. What it means is that, I'm going to bear up against the temptation to write you off or the temptation to think that my gifts are more important than your gifts or the temptation to think that, that you're insignificant. No, I'm going to bear up against all those things. And, and so he says, this is what we need to do. And, um, and he goes on, he says um, that we need to bear up against, we need to, to bear one another. And notice he, he adds the, the, the word in love. And that, and that, of course, is, is the Greek word agape. It means unconditional love. And this is what we are called to do. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, he was asked the question, hey, what's the greatest commandment in the, in the law? 
And, uh, and Jesus said this. He says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Now, he didn't ask him about the second. Jesus is just offering this up. He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, and, and his answer sums up the entirety of the Ten Commandments. Jesus, when he says you, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, this, this pertains to our relationship with God, pertains to the first four commandments, that, that we're to worship one God, that we're not to have any idols in our life, that we're not to take the Lord's name in vain, that we're to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so loving the Lord God, all of that pertains to our relationship with God in the first four of the, of the Ten Commandments. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, this pertains to the, to the remaining six of the Ten Commandments, where, where it's, you know, we need to honor your father and mother. You need not to, to kill and don't murder. Um, uh, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't, don't, don't lie. Don't covet. And, and so all of these issues are, are what Jesus says, hey, listen, you need to love. You need to love God. You need to love others. And, and that's the entirety of the Ten Commandments that we're given to live by. Listen, Jesus says that both relationships are so important that they make up the basis of the entire Bible. Listen to how Jesus put it. He said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you sum up every commandment and every word in the 66 books of your Bible, they all, come, they all boil down to one of two things, either loving God or loving one another. And this is critically important to the Lord. In fact, Jesus said that that would be the defining behavioral trait of Christians. It would be our love for one another. He said, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love, the words agape, unconditional love, one for another. And again, we have a problem with this in the church, don't we? We have churches splitting. We have Christians tearing down other Christians on Facebook. One of my pet peeves is I see there's some social issue and people will be discussing a social issue on a, on, you know, on a, a social network platform and all of a sudden you'll see two Christians just going at it. I'm like, you guys are making us look like idiots right there. You know, I mean, can't, can't we all just get along for crying out loud? I mean, gee whiz, we're supposed to love one another. And, uh, and so... You know, the, the issue is that our love for one another and our unity with one another, well, it was so, so important to Jesus that on the night that he was betrayed, he prayed about this to, to, to the Father. He, he said, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given to me, that they may be one as we are one. I want you to think about this. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. Don't you think the things that he's praying about are pretty important? And obviously, I mean, Jesus, if I was going to the cross, my prayers would, would just be all centered around me going to the cross. Like, you know, like, I mean, Jesus prayed, Lord, you know, if it, if it be possible, take this from me. Take this cup from me. I mean, that would probably be my continual prayer. Please don't make me do this kind of thing, you know. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. Thank God. So, but, I, you know, the last thing I would be doing is saying, hey, make sure they don't get in a fight and be all divided and all. Keep them unified. You know, but, but that was the Lord's Prayer. Pretty important stuff is the idea. We need to be connected one with him. We need to be connected one with another. Critically important. And, and, and that's exactly what Paul goes on to say. If you look at verse, verse 3, he, he, not only does he say, hey, we need to be faithful to our calling uh, with lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering and bearing with one another in love, but in verse 3 he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word unity, if you wanted to circle it nearby, if you're given to note-taking, you could write one or you could write oneness. That's what that word unity means. And, and it's significant because, you know, basically the point that Paul is making is that oneness includes, look, being one, being one with, with God and being one with one another. And this is pretty important because if you'll notice, well, let's just read through it, how much he emphasizes this oneness. He says... 
In verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So seven times he says in those few verses, uh, seven being the, the number of perfection, the number of completion, he's saying, hey, one, 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 you're one with God, you're one with one another, this is the way it's supposed to be, this is critically important. Man, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's an important thing for us to keep in mind. And by the way, the Bible talks about this over and over and over again. We read a, a verse previous in, in Romans talking about this oneness. Peter says the same thing. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, when Peter says here, finally, all of you be of one mind, that word one mind or that phrase one mind, it means literally to think the same thing. There's a, a unity of thought. Here, here's how uh, Paul put it to the Romans. He said, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to, here it is, be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind, there it is again, and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are called to a oneness. We're called to a unity. Now, it's important for me to point out that being called to a oneness and being called to a unity, it doesn't mean that you lose your individuality. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can't be yourself. It doesn't mean that we can't all have different gifts that we exercise in different ways. It doesn't mean that at all. It, it, it certainly does mean that there's a oneness to our doctrine. It certainly does mean that on the essentials we are one, that there's no room for, for any sort of variance from, from the essentials that the Bible teaches, that, that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins in our place, that there's nothing that you or I can do to earn a right standing with God, that we, that we have to receive salvation as the gift that it is. All of these are essential things, and so we absolutely need to be one and, and saying the same thing in that. But in terms of this idea of how we exercise the gifts that God has given to us, we can be one while at the same time being unique, and what this is, what this is, is really a harmony. Right? I mean, I, I sit and listen to our worship team, and I'm hearing, you know, Jesse sing harmony. I'm thinking, you know, that's beautiful. And, and, and by the way, when, when Paul says there in verse 3, to endeavor, we're to endeavor to keep the unity, oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here is super interesting. That word peace, well, if you boil it down to the primary verb, here's what it means. It means to join. That's what it means. It's speaking the idea of Think of joining voices in a harmonizing. That's the idea. Peace is when you and I, when our lives, when they harmonize together. Brenda and I, um, a while back, and I won't tell you where and I won't tell you what the circumstance was because it, it's not edifying, but we were in a situation where we were, we were listening to, you know, a, a musical performance and the... Uh, cats in a, in a tub of water. I mean, think that. Think nails on a chalkboard. It was, it was so bad that, that my wife is biting the inside of her mouth because she's going to start laughing. It was so bad. And, and so, you know, it was just one of those things where you're like, oh, oh my goodness. And um, yeah. so... That picture, that idea, it's kind of like that's the way it is in the body of Christ when we don't harmonize. It's one of these things to where it's like all of a sudden this thing comes out and you're like, you know, that was, that's what, that's what the idea here is. Now, using sort of a different analogy, because if you're like me, you know, you hear that analogy and immediately my mind is thinking, well, this illustrates this. But then I go, well, you know what? A lot of people in the church... And myself, I've been there as well. We kind of tend towards not so much the, the aggrandizement of our gifts, but rather the, the minimizing of our gifts and not thinking that much of our gifts and thinking, you know, I'm not that good. And so I might hear that illustration about somebody who didn't harmonize well, and immediately maybe my mind goes to the place where I think, you know, 
oh, this is just going to feed right into it. You see? Because I know I'd be the guy that we'd ever, it'd be this beautiful music, you know, and metaphorically speaking, and then I'd show up and everybody would be like, you know, what, what are you doing? And what comes to my mind, maybe you're there. I don't even know if you're tracking with me, but maybe, you know, what comes to my mind, have you, it's an old movie. Have you seen The, the Music Man? Anybody seen that old movie? Okay, here's the deal. In The Music Man, the guy, he's a shyster crook, and, and so he, he buys all of these, he, he persuades this town that they're in big trouble and that they need to protect the, the morality of their young men, and so he should start a boys' band. Gets them all to put in a bunch of money to buy a bunch of uniforms and to buy a bunch of instruments, and his intention is he's going to take the money and run. So... Well, the uniforms come in, and the instruments come in, and he's supposed to give them music lessons and all, um, but, but really he's not, and he's just making plans to make his exit. Well, the town gets on to him. They're going to tar and feather him. They bring him before the, you know, the town meeting, and what happens is right in the middle of this meeting, the boys' band shows up in their uniforms, and they start playing, and it sounds like cats in a tub of water. It sounds like a train wreck. But what happens is, all of the parents, what do you think that they're doing when their kids are playing? They're losing their mind. They think it's wonderful. This mom's looking, she's like, play for me, Jimmy, play for me, you know? And it's, and it's horrible to listen to, but the parents are eating it up. Here's the thing, for us, God's gifted us, he's called us, he wants us to serve him and to glorify him, and, and it doesn't matter if you're perfect, it doesn't matter if, you know, I'm telling you, if you heard the first message I ever preached, you wouldn't come to our church. I mean, there's a reason I destroyed it, it's horrible, but the thing is, is that when God calls you and you just step out in faith, he's not looking for your ability, he's just looking for your availability, man, and for him... He's saying, just play for me. He loves it. And this is the idea here that, that man, when we just we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and we serve the Lord with the gifts that he's given to us, man, what happens there, it's a harmony that just brings glory to the Lord. And, and you know, basically we're just going to model as Jesus modeled that, that meekness, that lowliness, that gentleness, the long suffering and forbearance and all. When we do that and we serve together, man, we're going to be in harmony with him and it'll be a beautiful picture. Here's my question for you. Are you in harmony? Are you even singing? It's a metaphor. I'm not looking for 50 applications for the worship team. I'm just saying, are you, are you being faithful to the Lord with the gifts that he's given to you? In fact, I would go so far as to say this. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Because if the answer is no, and I say this with all the love that I can say, you're in sin. See, God's given to everyone spiritual gifts and his desire is that we would obediently use those gifts. There's a reason he's given it to you. Willow is running for that cliff, man. God's calling you. So Paul says, listen, we're one in Christ, we're one with the Father, we're one in spirit, we're, we're one church, but, verse 7, here's what he says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, here's, here's the idea. What he's saying there is that we're called to be one in God and be one with each other, but in that, our calling is very specific to each of us individually as well. See, just as Paul would say, look, my calling is, is to, to go and to proclaim this mystery that God's unveiled to me, that Jew and Gentile should be one, and that's my calling, so he would say to you all as well, you all have an individual calling that, that you're called to exercise as well. And when he says grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift, what he means here is, although we're all one in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that we're all carbon copies of one another. Every Christian is different. Every Christian has different gifts, different strengths. Um, yeah, let's do it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 real quick. First Corinthians 12, we'll pick it up in verse 7. I'm just going to jump right into it. Here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another 
uh, faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing uh, by the same spirit, verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, uh, to another uh, different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Uh, I would say in your Bible, maybe to each one, you could just write your name underneath that, to distributing to, to Ted, to Karen, to Joe, to Sue, as he wills. Um, verse 12, for, the, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. See, Paul says, look, the church, the church body is just like the human body. And you think of the human body and you think of the way the human body operates and, and the, the fact of the matter is is that every part of your body contributes to another part of your body. And if that part of the body doesn't do the job, the other party, part of your body will suffer. Think about the human body. Your heart beats 104,000 times in a 24-hour period on average. Uh, your blood travels 168 million miles on average in a 24-hour period. You breathe 23,000 times on average. You, you inhale 450 cubic feet of air. You eat 3.25 pounds of food. You drink 2.9 quarts of liquid. This is on average in a 24-hour period. You speak on average 5,000 words. Guys speak about 10 and the women speak the rest. On average, this is what you speak. You utilize 750 miles. You exercise 7 million brain cells. Some more, some less. You know, and it all depends on how much honey boo-boo you watch. But at any rate, you, you know, the, the fact is, is that your body, every part does its work. Who, who's, that, who's that guy that, that just killed himself with a heroin overdose actor? Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, that guy. Thank you. Here's the deal with that guy. He, overde- he overdosed on heroin. And, and the bummer of heroin is it makes you stop breathing. That's an overdose, right? It doesn't make your heart stop. It makes you stop breathing. You're stopping breathing is what makes your heart stop. See, when his lungs stopped functioning, the rest of his body died. And so the idea here for us is that if you don't do your part, the rest of the body suffers. I told you, this is the drum that Paul is just going to beat over and over and that we likewise beat over and over again. There is this job that needs to happen. Now, Paul continues, he says, hey, this is the same way as the church body, and, and, and again, continuing in verse 14, he says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I, I, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole uh, were hearing, where would be the smelling? See, here's the thing. What Paul is, is talking about here, when he begins talking about this, Paul's introducing the, these potential boundaries to, to where our obedience is limited. These boundaries to where, you know, the, the, the foot says, well... The hand's better, and I should be the hand. That's the idea here. Uh, or the, the ear saying, well, because I'm not of an eye, I, I'm not of the body. The eye's job is, is, is better kind of thing. And, and so <clears throat> that, this is, this is the, the picture. Again, the idea of, of thinking less of our gifts than, than, than really than we, should, we should think. And um, so Paul continues, verse 18, he says this. He says, uh, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. That includes you. Um, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members and yet one body. Here's the thing. Our gifts are given to us strategically by God. And, man, there's a, there's a work that needs to happen there. And he doesn't want it. It's not about independence. It's about interdependence. All right. So moving on, back in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says. We'll pick it up in context, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, verse 8, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, when Paul says this, when he, when he, when he reads this, it's, it's basically, or when he writes this, it's, it's, um, it's a quote that's based on Psalm 68, 18. 
I'll put it on the screen for you. Here's what Psalm 68, 18 says. Thou has ascended on high. Thou has led captivity captive. Thou has received gifts for men. Um, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Okay, now, if you see that, and if you compare it with, with this uh, verse 8 of, of Ephesians 4, which is obviously taken from that, you notice a glaring dis- uh, exception. There's a, there's a glaring difference. Because in Psalm 68, it says that, that uh, you've received gifts for men. And then in Ephesians 4, it says that he gave gifts to men. And so you say, well, wait a minute. Did Paul misquote Psalm 68? Well, no. Remember, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who wrote both texts. So the Holy Spirit is making a distinction. And this is not a discrepancy. What you have here is a deliberate act. Because what's happening is, well, in Psalm 68... When Jesus came to this earth, he came with gifts that he had received in heaven for men. Now, here in in Ephesians chapter 4, when he now returns to heaven, he then gives those gifts to men. You see how that works? That's the idea here. James said that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. And so the idea here, Paul is saying that that Jesus came, he brought heavenly spiritual gifts, and when he ascended back into heaven, he gave those gifts to us. Again, consistent with Acts chapter 1, that there's a work that continues, and it's Jesus' work continuing through you and through me. That's the idea. So let's break this down. Verse 8, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who, who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fit all, or fill all things. Now, that's not as complicated as it sounds. Let me just real quickly define that. Now he, you know, beginning in verse 8, when he ascended on high, that's when Jesus, you know, ascended, when he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Uh, He led captivity captive. You ever wonder what happened to all the Old Testament saints who died before Jesus Christ came and died on the cross? Well, they 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 were hidden in Abraham's bosom. They were awaiting the propitiation for their sins, Jesus dying on the cross. So when Jesus came, died on the cross, went to the grave, resurrected, ascended into heaven, those Old Testament saints, he, he brought with him. And so that's the idea. He led captivity captive. And then he gave gifts to men. What does this mean? He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given to me spiritual gifts. Verse 9, now this he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? What's that speaking about? That's speaking about Jesus' death and burial. Him being buried in the grave. Right? Verse 10, he who descended is also the one who, who ascended. He rose from the dead. Um, far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And so, so, really simple thing. Jesus came, he gave gifts, he lived a sinless, dive, sinless life, he, he died on the, cross on, our, on the cross for our sins in our place, he went to the grave, and he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures, conquering sin and death, brought those Old Testament saints with him, and now he leaves the gifts for us to continue his work. Verse 11, and we are literally three minutes from being done. He says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some teachers, and uh, some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So why does God give gifts? He tells us in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, which is a word that means to build up, the building up of the body of Christ. Here's what Paul's saying as I close. Paul's saying there is a difference between a consumer mentality and a Christian mentality. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is, listen, in a consumer mentality, the church exists for your benefit. The pastor, his job is to take care of you. So, so basically, it's a business transaction. The idea is, you know, how can I give the least amount of my time, my money, my effort, and get the best return on it? 
And so in a consumer mindset, the consumer comes to the church and they say, hey, listen, I'm not going to do a thing. Your service better be just the right length of time and your message better be good. I can't do anything to help you over there. Sorry about that, but you better have a place for my kids. I am not going to do anything in terms of, you know, working or volunteering or whatever. You're lucky I show up. Uh, the worship better be good. That's, what, that's, that's what, it, what a consumer says. A consumer says, yeah, I attend that church, and the service starts at 9, and I get there 9-ish. I hope the pastor doesn't go over, and I leave. That's what a consumer says. And, you know, it's, it's a business transaction. Listen, here's the Christian mentality. Christian says, hey, listen, the pastors, the elders, they exist to equip me so that I'm prepared to serve others. Their job, Pastor Ted's job, is, is to preach the word. My job is to grow in the word and apply it and be faithful to serve the, serve the Lord with the gifts that he's given to me. See, the Christian mentality says, how can I give my money? How can I give my time? How can I give my gifts? How can I give my capabilities? Where can I help bring unity and health to the church family? That's the place. That's the idea. So as we conclude here, and we, we now, we conclude our service, we go to the communion table, we pray, we worship the Lord for what he has done. The Bible says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. And I will certainly worship him and thank him for serving me. But what we have to do right now is we have to do very real business with a very certain fact that we have been called to continue the work that he started. My former work, O Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus Christ began both to do and to teach. The implication is we continue to do, and to teach. So my question for you is, are you a Christian or are you a consumer? Don't tell me. Don't answer me. This is not Pastor Ted saying, I want more people in the children's ministry. I want more people in the student ministry. I want more people to help us set up and tear down. It's raining. We could get a lot of, people, a lot of work done. We've got a lot of people to help. It's not about any of that. It's about there is coming a day when you will stand before God and you will give an account of your life. Absolutely. Salvation by grace through faith, that not of yourself, has nothing to do with your works. So you might be saved and be in the smoking section in heaven is what I'm saying because you will stand before God, you'll give an account for your life. Okay, and listen, do we, don't we all want to hear, well done thou good and faithful servant? So, so what I'm talking about here, not necessarily an issue of are you saved or not, but I don't know, man. Jesus said you'd know them by their fruits. And, and so if, 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 if I read this right, and I think we are, the Lord's saying I'm, I, I'm saved, saving you and I got a work to do. I'm going to give you gifts that you can use to perpetuate my work here and I think we ought to take it seriously. I just want to be a healthy church, guys. That's all I want to be. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be growing in the Lord. And this is an issue of obedience. And most people, I said I was close. This is the last thing I'll say. Most people, when you talk to them about this issue, we deceive ourselves because we think we're obedient to it. I don't want you to take a walk with it and pray about it because if, if, it, if you are the one who says, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are, or if you're the one who you're serving is the exception and not the rule, then you're in sin. And it's my job to teach you that, to equip you so that you're prepared to do the work of the ministry.